Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Editor's Desk here on Biz News Radio with me, Felicity Duncan, and Biz News Editor-in-Chief, Alec Hogg. Now, Alec, on the 27th of July, uh, you and I had a bit of a chat and we, we talked about a lot of different things, but among those things was a visit that you had made down to KZN, down to Durban, and uh, you had sort of driven around and seen a lot of what was going on there. And one of the things that we discussed was a stalled uh, development project that um, seemed to to be headed nowhere and seemed a bit of a cash sinkhole and was associated with one Vivian Reddy. Now I am told that you went back to Durban and this time you actually spoke with Vivian and uh, that you've uh, got some interesting things to share with us out of that interview. Oh, it, it really was a most fascinating morning with him. In fact, it was a, a, a terrific trip all round, and I can tell you about the real purpose for going. But meeting with Vivian, uh, who, who I, I do know, I've had uh, things to do with him in the past, as one tends to when you're from the same province. KZN, KwaZulu-Natal is a small area, uh, uh, or it has a small business community relative to the rest of the country. And everybody kind of knows everybody. And coming from that part of the world, I've kept in touch. Vivian is a, he's this uh, great example of the tall poppy. He's a guy who is the last child in a family of nine, grew up in extreme poverty, uh, worked his way up from being a bucky builder, literally driving around doing, well, not a builder, but installations and electrical installations with his bucky and a couple of guys to help him, to owning this enormous organization called Edison, which I think is the biggest electrical contracting business on the African continent. Anyway, that's a little bit of the background. He's also gone into more recently into property developments, into casinos. My hometown of Newcastle, he built the biggest shopping center there. He built the casino there as well. And that's who he is, tall poppy extremely. And I guess what happens in our society in South Africa is when people do achieve great things, Immediately the gossip starts and uh, they are accused of only doing that through crooked means. Vivian, uh, the the, the talk around Nukulanga was that he bought this patch of land for nothing or for very little from the town council and he put together this building and then he ran out of money. That's really the the story, the long and the short of it. And it's all nonsense. It's all fake news. Uh, I sat with him on Friday morning. Uh, had a had a fascinating interview, threw all the difficult questions at him and came back uh, very satisfied that this is a guy who has uh, been denigrated, I guess, for as long as I can remember. Uh, people would would point fingers at him, not not that he's a bad guy or anything, but, you know, he's a member or a, a, a an unashamed member of the ANC and supporter of the ANC. So, of course, he has to be corrupt. And that isn't the case at all. Not that I know anyway. Uh, and I'll tell you why, Felicity. It's a, it's, it might be a small thing in other people's minds, but in my mind, it's huge. In 1975, as a 15-year-old, I went to the World Jamboree of the Boy Scouts in Norway. And this changed my life completely. It, it exposed me to people of other races in an apartheid South Africa and uh, also gave me a view of what's going on in the rest of the world, which... Uh, almost fast-tracked my my development. Vivian Reddy had the same experience exactly four years earlier. Um, Again, he comes from a very poor background, as uh, I was in a pretty modest background too. 
his parents didn't have enough money to send him to the World Jamboree after he'd been selected. So the community did Baba job, cake sales, whatever, to give him this incredible opportunity. And he went to Japan in 1971. So it's almost like uh, there are a few very, very uh, limited, from my perspective, parallels with this man. But I can I can relate to him in, in that way. And he's built his business and built his life very much based on that principle. And what happened to him in 1971 at the World Jamboree was he met Neil Armstrong. And Neil Armstrong said to him, if you can dream it, you can do it. And that's exactly what has shaped his life thereafter. Getting back to the point uh, of the Amklanga uh, uh, development, which is the biggest private development I think ever undertaken in South Africa. It's almost 4 billion rand that uh, Vivian Reddy and his partner Rob Alexander from Peter Maritzburg are putting together. It's They bought the land, not from the town council, but from somebody else who had it. He told me the numbers. They are confidential, but I can assure you it is a many times multiple of the 30 million rand that is being thrown away. They had to then invest a whole lot more money to get the land ready. And they, they started off with their first contractor who went bankrupt and the second contractor, Group 5, went bankrupt. So the run of bad luck the, over there. <laughs> kind of not their fault. Um, you build a big, a massive project, a, a three and a half billion rand project, and the guys who are contracting for you go bang. It isn't, it isn't your fault that the project stalls, but the, the point about all of this is that they've got the funding secured. I've seen the documentation. They've got uh, Wilson Bailey and Trendcore who are now uh, busy doing the contracting. They're the blue chip operators in the construction market. Uh, they're back on site. They're back building there. There's nothing about the uh, problems that they have to demolish the whole thing, uh, which is what the talk was there. A little bit of sandblasting, uh, according to the engineers, is fine. And the project, which will be this massive uh, uh, upliftment for Amklanga, um, it, it's likely to significantly increase property values in the area, will be completed by December next year. So Vivian Reddy's on track. Uh, the, 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 his knockers, I think, once again are going to be shown uh, that they don't really know what they're talking about. And it was just a delight to spend a bit of time hearing the reality of it. I'll, I'll put that whole interview together and, and put it on the site next week. But it's as we started, if you like, the, the rumor and – and the and the the nonsense <laughs> when you and I were talking, it's probably best to actually end it here too. Very interesting, and it just goes to show that while rumor and and gossip and common knowledge, let's call it, can be a very valuable source of information about what's happening, and you know, you always have to do the footwork and find out uh, what's happening on the other side of the story, and that's a lesson South African journalism has had to learn multiple times, I would say. Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt, that's, that's what, the word. <laughs> um, a full Fisher in his great book, uh, which is one of the two big investment books, uh, the, the best investment books to read, uh, talks a lot about Scuttlebutt. And it's good because you get to know about the inside story perhaps on investments before you go ahead. But the, the lesson always is go out there, go and, go and wear the tacky hits of the tar. Don't just take things for granted, as I did in this case. I was listening to what people were saying, and there was the building. It was stalled. So I said, well, this is what people are saying about it. Um, but you need to actually find out from the source, don't you? Absolutely. And I think that uh, on that trip, this was not the only 
source, as it were, that you encountered and that you learned from, but that you also got a good insight into uh, part of the real economy of KZN and Ian was specifically, I guess, of Durban. Um, and that's an important thing because, you know, there's so much doom and gloom and we, we hear a lot of unhappiness from readers, but it's always important to be reminded that there are people out there who are, you know, on the coal face, who are the ones who are really creating jobs, creating value, and they have their heads down and they're just doing their work. Yeah, the reason I went to KZN was an invitation uh, from one of our subscribers, uh, Henk Fienstra, who works very closely. He's a mentor of a um, of Rajiv, who turned 50, who is the uh, owner of a company, a footwear company called Palm Footwear, which, Felicity, I'll have you know, produces about one-third one of all the school shoes worn in South Africa. Now, this this kind of immediately got me thinking, because we hear that the Chinese produce, mass produce, and we can't compete with them. But here you've got a, a, a company in Durban, um, which was started by Rajiv's father, who was a greengrocer who desperately wanted to get into manufacturing. He little, had a little greengrocing business. Any manufacturing operation that came along, he would have bought, Rajiv was telling me. But uh, as it happened, it was a company that went into liquidation that was doing making shoes that he could manage to to he had enough to to acquire. So he bought this company with uh, well staff of about uh, a dozen. And today, to look at the way this business operates, it was so inspiring. Not just that he competes with the Chinese, or in fact, the Chinese don't even play in this market anymore. They can't. Um, and But secondly, when he walked around the factory floor, I wasn't with him. I was standing up. I arrived a little bit, little bit later while he was going through there. The, the uh, way that the staff treated him was like he was a rock star. And you, it's a husband and wife team who, who own this business. He's got about 900 or so uh, staff, real old-fashioned labor um, uh, or high labor intensive um, uh, production lines where you know ladies are sitting there with their sewing machines sewing uh, the shoes together the kind of thing that we hear that South Africa really needs and Rajiv has done it he's gone there taken his father's business expanded it uh, furthermore producing school shoes with synthetic material uh, i.e. plastic rather than the, uh, the, the the leather that you would see in in the one most people know called barter taffies. Well, he does, uh, Palm does the, uh, their product, which is called uh, Trustees, and their brand sells at about a, th- about a half, just under half of what barter taffies do, which for many people, if you can go buy school shoes at under 100 rand, seriously, um, you can imagine that that is uh, when you're on a very tight budget. Uh, that's that is is uh, is a is a great boon to you. So I was inspired. I was inspired at the way that his his staff treated him like a rock star. They they hugged him and congratulated him and took selfies with him. And that is a a, a approach. And I spoke to him a great deal about it afterwards about how how he how he does that. And it's it's just it's just a different way of approaching business. Um, they pay well. They or relative to everybody else in the area. Um, their, their wages are a little higher, but it's more the way that they look after their staff, treat them like a family. And, and in family businesses, you often do find this. 
and they're getting on and doing things and looking at new markets, but slowly and conservatively and building it over time. Uh, it really was inspiring to see a story like that and engaging with other entrepreneurs who came along to the lunch where uh, he held it as a, I suppose, as a business lunch birthday celebration put into one. Um, and I was able then to engage with a, about, there were about 70 people there with, with entrepreneurs who he knows or who, who uh, he has uh, contact with. And just to see how these people are getting on with it, getting on with things, not uh, not ignoring the doom and gloom, but very much um, tailoring their their businesses towards the opportunities that do exist. And it was inspiring. You know, it's a it's an interesting attitude. I remember I had a friend um, who he, he had an engineering background and he was a very entrepreneurial guy. And about probably call it 10 years ago, uh, he and I were talking doom and gloom the way that South Africans do. And, I, well, I should say I was talking doom and gloom the way that South Africans do. And he said to me, you know, actually, this is a good story. He said, the more inefficiencies that get introduced into the economy, the more opportunity there is for small businesses to go out there and fix those inefficiencies. And he now is a, a very successful entrepreneur. He's done extremely well for himself in the technology space, uh, just going out and identifying where there are problems, where there are issues, and instead of looking at them as problems or issues, he's looked at them as a, an opportunity for him to provide a solution and, you know, do well out of it. And I, that kind of attitude, I think, is uh, is very exciting to see. It's not, you know, necessarily the most common attitude to problems, but it is the entrepreneurial attitude to problems. And, and there are still South Africans out there who have that attitude and who are doing just that. When they see a market like school shoes where a lot of people may Maybe can't afford them, you know. Somebody like this is going. Well, let me come up with a solution and make money doing it. It's it's it, you've really put your finger onto something big there, because so often when I talk to even young people in South Africa, they they believe that there's a better future for them elsewhere, and I then ask the second question, that is, what do you do? And without exception, those who are looking to emigrate from the country are working for corporations. And you can understand that because they come from a demographic group that previously was advantaged. Now it's no longer advantaged. And in fact, uh, they're on the back foot because people who've been disadvantaged must be given the greater opportunities in corporates. It's it's part of the, the system and it's not something that is ever going to reverse. In fact, if anything, it's going to accelerate. But instead of stopping and thinking and saying, hang on, if this is the scenario that I'm faced with, let me look at alternative ways of addressing it, i.e., like your friend, going into the marketplace. This is a market economy. Instead of the socialist kind of approach where I work for a big corporate and I get my salary every month and it, when I retire, I'm going to go on pension, to say, how can I take advantage of the inefficiencies that I see all around me? In fact, mostly in this corporation that I'm working for and go and do things which will enhance the economy instead of doing that. People of this type say, oh, well, uh, let me go and find another corporate somewhere else in the world where I won't be disadvantaged because of the color of my skin. But the reality is you'll be disadvantaged over there because you're South African. You can't go into a British society and think without the old school tie that you are suddenly going to be treated equal 
to everybody else who's been in that society and has paid their taxes for many years, etc., you're going to hit exactly the same obstacles within a corporation in any other country in the world because that is the way the world works. You, that they look after their own before they look after foreigners. So where foreigners do succeed when they go into other countries and immigrants is when they start their own businesses, when they do entrepreneurial things. So rather than going through all the trauma, all the hassle of going of relocating your family, why not become an entrepreneur in South Africa? If I could get that message through to somebody or just not get the message through, just get to think about that as an alternative to to many of the the other life choices that people are making then i think i would have done my life's work so it's it's it, it's terribly frustrating when you see this happening and I, i'll tell you a very an abject example of this is the afrikaner in south africa afrikaners up until 1994 had a choice really uh, of serving the folk i.e. working in the public sector or going off to the other side with, and very few of them uh, would go to the other side and work with the Englishman, uh, in other words, the old historic enemy of the Afrikaner. So what happened generally, there was a, a, a very strong civil service because many of the Afrikaner people saw this as a natural home for themselves. Post-1994, that's not the home anymore. So a lot of them have been forced to become entrepreneurs and look at the incredible success they've made of it. So it's almost like, just look at this as, a, as an alternative. Um, with many Afrikaner people, they've been forced to do it, and many of them have done incredibly well, uh, rather than going, going into that hamster wheel and, and by rote, these are the only options available to us. We as human beings are, have incredible ingenuity. Sometimes we need to get out of our own way to unleash that energy. That's all we have time for. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to read a transcript of this interview, one is available on biznews.com up there in the premium section. And uh, remember, you can subscribe to premium just five pounds a month. And that gives you access to all of our great premium content and to the digital content of the Wall Street Journal.